Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Scott McCartney is made possible with the support of Pratt & Whitney. Pratt & Whitney is committed to working smarter, cleaner, and greener today for a more sustainable tomorrow. Learn more at prattwhitney.com. And by Dewhop. Dewhop is revolutionizing travel connectivity. Learn how to unlock unlimited connections simply at dohop.com. We also welcome your business's support. Info at airlinesconfidential.com. Welcome to Airlines Confidential. I'm Ben Baldanza, and I hope everyone had a happy sugar-filled Halloween. I dressed up this year as a full fare wide ticket because that seems to be the rarest thing in the airline industry these days. And you know what, Scott McCartney? No one recognized me. <laughs> I'm not surprised, Ben. I dressed up as Travis Kelsey so I could get a date with Taylor Swift. But that didn't work either. Oh, well. At the Federal Aviation Administration, a trick-or-treater named Michael Whitaker showed up dressed as an administrator. And they did recognize him. Thank goodness. He got some candy, and we'll see whether the rest of us do too. We'll talk about that and a lot more news from surprise CEO resignations to pilot mental health issues, losses at low fare airlines, and whether those losses really are a sign that big airlines are wounding the smaller ones. If so, does that make the case stronger for approving the JetBlue Spirit merger? Sorry about Taylor Swift, Scott. <laughs> but one thing that is working is a company called World Travel Holdings. You may not have heard of it, but you've probably used it. Co-CEO Jeff Tolkien is joining us today. He'll bring some great insights into travel and vacations and running what has become a very successful business. I'm really looking forward to talking with Jeff. So in news this week, Ben, we finally have both a Speaker of the House and an administrator at the FAA. In the FAA's case, Mike Whitaker was confirmed in the Senate by a 98-0 to zero vote, which is really both a vote of confidence in Mike and a bipartisan cry for help. We went 18 months without a confirmed administrator. Shame on Washington. That's just inexcusable. But let's move forward quickly. Mike has a lot on his to-do list, and I'm sure he's getting right to it as best he can. We send our congratulations to Mike, and we look forward to signs of improvement, or at least better effort to fix the nation's many air travel inadequacies. I'll keep saying it, Ben. We can't maintain the status quo and expect a different outcome. Things have to change. And speaking of change, more third quarter earnings this past week. Spirit and Frontier tried to dress up as profitable airlines, but it was just Halloween costumes. Both lost money in what is traditionally a strong quarter. Spirit's revenue fell a sizable 6% compared to last year's third quarter. The airline blamed, quote, 
softer demand, and discounted fares, unquote. Discounted fares is what you do. Why is that a problem? Frontier blamed that scary Halloween costume called weak sales, along with the equally scary higher fuel. One interesting measure, Frontier's operating margin was a healthy 16% back in the third quarter of 2019. Last year, it was 5%. This year, negative 6%. Both those airlines dressed up as turkeys for Halloween. Southwest Airlines wasn't much better. It dressed up as a goose, not a turkey, but it wasn't a golden goose. Southwest earned $193 million, down 30% from last year. Unit revenue, measured as revenue per available seat mile, was down nearly 7%. Southwest said it expects the last three months of the year to be even worse, with fourth quarter RASM likely to be 9% to 11% lower. And last year's RASM took a hit from the massive Christmas meltdown. Interestingly, Southwest said it expects to finally get back to full strength in the fourth quarter. And it turns out that's not such a good thing. With full restoration comes high growth, and now Southwest is lowering growth plans for next year. Southwest says it has to reshape its schedule for next year again. It has higher than normal investment in development markets. And Southwest also said, quote, Schedules are not ideally matched to current business travel trends, unquote. We talked last week how Southwest's generous changes to its frequent flyer elite status qualification signaled weakness in business travel, especially short-haul business travel. And here's another sign. You'll see even more flights shift out of traditional business travel routes to more leisure destinations, and that likely will pressure leisure fares even lower for the low-cost carriers like Spirit and Frontier. Third quarter results dressed up for Halloween as a stinky pig, Ben. Please explain. Well, there's a lot to unpack there, Scott. For Spirit and Frontier, the issue is everyone in the industry sells cheap fares. But Spirit and Frontier sell only cheap fares. So what's left for them is after the other airlines sell as many as they're going to sell. And since everyone is basically accommodating the leisure demand, it doesn't leave as much for Spirit and Frontier. And that's a challenge for them until capacity for the whole industry is back in line with current demand. And that could take years. Mm. Southwest comment that their schedule isn't aligned with current travel is a fascinating admission. I think that's right. But it's not clear how much they can do. You can't just dump all your seats in Florida and Phoenix and expect that's going to be okay, too. Mm -hmm. So it seems to me that capacity 
rationalization at Southwest and Spirit and Frontier are all likely in the next year because no way do those carriers want to lose money at this time of year. Agree, Scott? Yeah, I do agree. You know, one of the really interesting capacity problems at Southwest is that they're having to take the Max 8 when what they really want is the Max 7. So because the Max 7 hasn't been approved by the FAA, they're getting planes with a whole lot more seats. And when you have 30, 40 more seats to sell in a market uh, on a particular flight, that means lower fares. So that's clearly going to be one of the low fare problems, as you say, for uh, the guys who are only selling low fares and competing head-to-head with Southwest. Now, the good news, I think, for Spirit and Frontier is that carriers like American United, Delta, and even Southwest don't want to sell a lot of really low fares. They're just forced to right now. So it's not like they're doing it just to push on the low-cost guys. I think that's a result of what they're doing for their own good. But eventually, they want a different result, too. Well, another big story this week, Scott, was the scary breakdown of the Alaska Airlines pilot riding jump seat on a Horizon Airlines flight. The pilot attempted to disable both engines mid-flight. The Horizon crew did an incredible job maintaining control, and the Alaska pilot told police, quote, I'm not okay. I think we really need to get better at helping pilots with mental health challenges. If they report concerns, they can get grounded. The threat of losing their livelihood makes them reluctant to seek help. There has to be a better way. Maybe a guarantee that you won't lose pay as long as you're being treated along the company's protocol or something. Just like safety, we want everyone to talk about it if they think there's a problem. I agree, Ben. I heard a lot of people say, what was he doing in the cockpit? Well, he's a pilot. We put them in cockpits. Riding on the jump seat was not the issue. The stigma and lack of support for treatment for depression, stress, mental health disease, that's the issue we need to address. And I think you're right. You've got some good ideas there. Um, It ought to be no fault. You ought to be able to get treatment, not lose pay, get healthy, and get back in the cockpit. Two other somewhat spooky Halloween notes, Ben. Last week, Akbar Abakar, the founding CEO of Qatar Airways, unexpectedly resigned effective November 5th. Chief, as he likes to be called, started with five aircraft in 1997 and built an industry for the Persian Gulf state. 
He was also CEO of the airport and chair of Qatar Tourism. Today, Qatar Airways has 258 planes. Doha has a magnificent airport, and the country has a robust aviation industry. Last July, Qatar Airways reported an annual profit of $1.2 billion, bolstered by the company's hosting of the 2022 FIFA World Cup. But Albacar's tenure was filled with controversy, including prejudiced and intolerant statements he had to apologize for. He made some friends in the industry, and he made a lot of enemies. I had several interactions with Chief, including a trip to Doha to spend some time with him at a time he was at war with big U.S. airlines. He is a character, an autocrat who wouldn't fit in at most companies, but also a visionary who saw problems and demanded fixes and saw opportunities and capitalized on them. I learned from him. And you never knew what the next outrageous statement would be coming out of his mouth. So you had to cover him closely. I have a fondness for covering the outspoken. Chief was apparently pushed out. He's only 61 years old. We don't know why, but what a run he had. And Ben, here's this week's Jeopardy answer. 12 years. The question How long before the Wall Street Journal writes a repeat of a Scott McCartney story? Twelve years ago, I did a story about who gets the armrest on an airplane. This past week, the journal repeated that story. Somebody else did the reporting. My answer was the poor soul in the middle seat gets the armrest. That's just compensation for the inability to lean into a wall or an aisle. I like that solution, Scott, and my guess is this may be the first, but not the last time they repeat your stories. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I guess I guess that means uh, there's only so much. Um, obviously, readers don't remember stories from 12 years ago, so it makes total sense. Um, I just get a chuckle out of it. Well, and when it comes to Chief, he may not be the CEO of Cutter, but it's hard for me to believe he won't still be pulling many strings in Doha around tourism and the aviation sector. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Um, and certainly, and, you know, I think they need him. He had a lot of vision and, uh, and really built a sustainable future for them. So, yes, I would expect him to be involved somehow. And, uh, and who knows, if things don't go well for his successor, maybe he comes back someday. Well, Airlines Confidential wouldn't exist without the support of our sponsors. We want to thank Doohop, which is revolutionizing travel connectivity. Duhop is a travel technology provider, enabling airlines to expand their networks, offer more connectivity, create additional partnerships, and focus on improving the customer experience with more offers, services, and travel options. Airlines benefit from generating additional revenue, lower costs, and maintaining full customer ownership. Plus, in the event of travel disruptions, Duhop works with airlines and offers assistance in helping passengers reach their final destination. Visit dohop.com. That's D-O-H-O-P.com. And we want to thank Pratt & Whitney, 
At Pratt & Whitney, the pursuit of more sustainable aviation is foundational. For decades, Pratt & Whitney has been at the forefront of revolutionary advances in aircraft propulsion technology. And by working smarter, cleaner, and greener today, they are committed to supporting the aviation industry in its goal of reaching net zero CO2 emissions by 2050. Learn more about Pratt & Whitney's smarter technology, cleaner fuel, and greener business at prattwhitney.com. All right, let's bring in Jeff Tolkien. Jeff Tolkien serves as co-chairman and co-CEO of World Travel Holdings with his brother Brad, and they are the majority shareholders. He has more than 40 years experience as an operating executive in the travel industry. Jeff and Brad co-founded World Travel Holdings in 2005 and through a variety of acquisitions, innovative business practices, and developing opportunities, they have grown the company into more than a $2 billion travel industry powerhouse. Today, World Travel Holdings owns and operates more than 35 leading travel brands, including two top-rated travel agency franchise brands. World Travel Holdings sells cruises, resort day passes, luxury vacations, and villas in exotic locations. As a result of their significant contributions to the cruise industry, Brad and Jeff were inducted into the Cruise Lines International Association Hall of Fame in 2014, and in 2021, received Travel Weekly's Lifetime Achievement Award. Jeff holds a bachelor's degree from Columbia College and a law degree from Columbia Law School. Jeff, you have an amazing background. Tell us how you first got into travel as a career. Scott, you're very um, gracious in your introduction. Um, for a minute, I didn't know who you were talking about. Um, I, I would say <laughs> that we got into, I, my brother and I got into this business uh, because we were forced into this business. When I was 12, our dad was embezzled for everything he was worth. And while other children were going on play dates, my brothers, four of us and I, were um, setting up a human production line to fold, stuff, seal, and stamp envelopes. And we were um, working the business after school on weekends, building it from the ashes as a family. That's how I got into the business. That's amazing, Jeff. And I've always learned that people who start working young, like you, are always the best at business because you learn those skills early. Ben, you're quite right. When um, I was younger, my brothers and I, after every snowstorm, would pull out shovels and go earn $50 a driveway for shoveling people's driveways. When I was 11, I got a a paper route. When I was 14, I got my first summer job. And um, my parents instilled in my brothers and me a work ethic that we've never deviated from. That's amazing. Well, as a result of that, you've probably sold more cruises than any person on the planet. How do you think the cruise industry has changed? And did the pandemic give you fears that industry might not even return? Well, those are two questions. So let me answer them in the order you asked them. In terms of how the industry has changed, look, for many years, cruising was for the newlywed and nearly dead. And um, if you weren't one of those camps, you didn't go. 
Now there's a cruise for everybody. There are cruises that are luxury, cruises that are mass market, cruises that are quiet, cruises that are boisterous, cruises that are floating palaces at sea, cruises that are amusement parks at sea. You no longer have one choice in dining, early or late seating. You have 30 some odd food choices on these mega ships. So the industry has become mainstream, for lack of a better word. In terms of COVID, yes, anybody who wasn't frightened wasn't living through it. But our executive team made one decision early on. So March 13th, the world stopped spinning, cruising stopped. By mid-April, when others were thinking COVID would be a one-quarter or two-quarter blip, we told our management team, prepare for an 18-month shutdown. So we took the actions we needed to take hard and fast. So while others were trying to figure out how much longer this would go on, we began to rebuild and we actually gained share during COVID. That's amazing. So let's talk about airlines a little bit. You've seen airlines come and go. Describe what you see as the state of the airline industry today. Um, I, I think the airline industry today could be described as stable. That may sound odd to insiders such as yourselves, but for me, the industry is, sa- is stable. For the 80s and 90s, it was a high testosterone business where executives were trying to add ASMs, add capacity at any cost, and mm-hmm. they lost their shirts. Now, the airlines are for-profit enterprises and um, they make more rational decisions. Second, I think the loyalty programs have become a cornerstone of airline life, particularly big airlines. So you no doubt know that during COVID, each of the airlines monetized their or leveraged their loyalty programs for billions with a B dollars. And so they're very valuable and they're a very valuable source of not only loyalty, but income from disparate streams of revenue, credit card, partners, et cetera. And finally, I think the industry has continued to evolve. While it's still frustrating at times, I think that um, as a guy who flies almost every week of the year, uh, the experience has become better. And I say that because after 9-11, we had all sorts of um, friction getting through the airport with the TSA pre-check, with clear, things are beginning to get better. In-flight entertainment has gotten better. The food is still terrible. And nothing is ever going to change that. You can't serve a gourmet meal that's been frozen to 2,000 degrees below zero and reheated in in a blast oven. But I, I think that on the whole, and demand is telling us this, despite a tremendous increase in fares, the industry is stable. I'm curious what you were saying about the loyalty programs. Have have you ever been tempted to have some kind of loyalty program at World Travel Holdings? We have not. And the reason is, and the reason cruise line loyalty programs are not as uh, effective as airlines or hotels is frequency of use. So mm-hmm. most loyalty members who are the higher tiered loyalty members are flying multiple times a month. Hotels staying multiple times a month. The average cruiser books a cruise once every 18 months. So without that kind of 
uh, repetitiveness, a loyalty program loses some of its starch. It's interesting that you say that, Jeff, because I've always had a view that one way big airline loyalty programs could change for the better is if they found a way to make the programs relevant for the less frequent traveler. Obviously, they couldn't get as much as the frequent travelers, but to make it not even relevant, I think, is a mistake. Well, Ben, I would say to you, they are making it more relevant for the less frequent traveler in the sense that they have expanded the um, product offering to include hotels, packages, rental car, and cruises. I know this because we power the cruise vertical for almost every airline in the country. Mm. And um, the amount of business that airlines do selling cruises is significant. You're right. And I think adding credit card spend also helps that. It is the biggest cash generator of the loyalty program by far. Well, post-pandemic, leisure travel seems to be carrying the day for the airline industry. Specifically, airlines are focusing heavily on what they call premium leisure travel. This must be music to your ears. Do you see this as a great market for higher-priced leisure tours? I do, in the sense that I see a couple of reasons for this. The first is Post-pandemic, there is a lot of pent-up demand. Uh, Consumers are still flush with cash. I just read last week that household net worth is up 50% from pre-pandemic. And so people have cash. Second, boomers in particular, but millennials as well, want experiences more than tangible goods. And Boomers have lots of time as well as capital to spend on that. On January 1, 2011, 10,000 baby boomers retired. And 10,000 boomers have retired every day since then and will continue to do so through 2027. So we see um, some huge tailwinds. That's why despite corporate travel not coming back to where it was, the airlines are enjoying uh, a a, a very healthy year in terms of their profits. So, Jeff, when you fly, what do you look for in an airline? Can you tell us who your favorites are and and what's really important to you when you book? Sure. I would say that clearly schedule is the most important uh, thing for me. I I will avoid taking anything other than a nonstop If I can at all avoid it, I happen to live in New York. I'm blessed to be able to go almost anywhere nonstop. I look for which airlines I have boarding preference. I have it on most of them, but I don't check bags ever. My wife and I have traveled three weeks at a time, no check bags. And thus getting in early and getting the overhead space is very important to me. All other things well, price, obviously, but the airlines are fairly competitive on price. It's rare that there is a huge discrepancy 
when I'm booking. All of the things, in-flight entertainment, uh, attitude of the, of the employees are less important to me because I think they are fairly close in terms of differential. And I never, ever travel without my Kindle. So I always have built-in entertainment if I need it. Jeff, the travel distribution space has changed a lot too. And you've been a big driver of this through your consolidations. What do you think of the big changes in this space, including the push now for NDC? So once again, Ben, you're asking me two questions. I need to unpack them in order to answer. In terms of consolidation, I would say that is a never-ending process. Industries have entrance. They consolidate. If they get to be too few, new entrants see an opportunity, a void in the market, and they come in and they sprout. Some of them fail, some of them succeed, and the process regenerates. I don't think that will ever change in a capitalist society, and I'm a big believer that capitalism is the best system ever, economic system ever invented for humans. In terms of NDC, again, I think that is an evolutionary, not a revolutionary concept. There were the GDSs. Then there were the alternate GDSs like Fairlogics. And now we have NDC. They are all simply a pipe to transmit content. And so I, I see that, again, as I said, more of an evolution as opposed to a revolution. And NDC, just for all of our listeners, it stands for new distribution capability. And as you say, just a, a new pipe, a way to direct connect or, or sell more add-ons, um, variations um, in an online transaction, right? Correct. Jeff, you've partnered with your brother for your whole career. Not all of us could do that. This must be a very special relationship. Can you share anything about how this really works? Sure. My relationship with my brother is like a marriage. And I've always taught my children, marry for values, because everything else changes or can change. Looks, wealth, these are ephemeral, but values tend to be forever. And there's something about genetics, but we share common values. I told you about how we got into the travel business. We're both hardworking. We are not people who make high-risk, low-reward bets. We each are big believers in technology, but we don't need to be at the cutting edge of technology. So we will be the second in after the technology has proven, whether uh, a craze for virtual reality or um, other technologies that couldn't fail and people put a lot of money behind them, we tend to keep investing in that which is a more immediate payback to improve the consumer experience. Our company mantra is to deliver a remarkable experience. Yes, it's mostly focused on the consumer, but it's really a 360 degree view. We want it to be remarkable for our employees, our shareholders, our uh, partners, the cruise lines, our franchisees, and the consumer. And so we may have disagreements on 
how to execute against that. There's no disagreement on the mission. And when we have a disagreement, we talk it through. And we have, over the course of almost 40 years, never had an issue that we couldn't resolve. That's really amazing. I have a relationship with my sister similarly, but I don't think I could have run a business with her for 40 years. Well, I I, I consider myself blessed to be in business with my brother. And um, it's a real privilege to have a family situation. Each of us has a son in the business, but we run it as a business. It's a meritocracy. We have not lost a single member of the executive team because they felt threatened by our children. That's really a fantastic story. You guys, if you haven't been yet, should be a Harvard Business School case study. I am happy to continue my journey through life anonymously. Um, So (laughs) I'll leave that to others. Well, before we let you go, tell us what excites you most about the business over the next five to 10 years? It's an interesting question and one I've actually reflected upon. What I love to do more than anything is build. I think in my next life, if I could choose a profession, it would be architecture and development to build something tangible. And so we've built this business. Yes, we'll crest over 2 billion this year, but it's been a journey. And I love the fact that we're building something. We employ 1,600 people. I love the fact that we're creating jobs. I love the ability to mentor people. I still have relationships with former employees. And so to me, It's all about growth and development, either as an entity or as an individual or for other individuals. And that's what gives me the most satisfaction in this business. Well, Jeff, this has been a fascinating and very satisfying discussion. We've learned a lot about business and life and marriage and, yes, travel too. So I want to thank you for, for joining us um, and, uh, and congratulate you on, on all the success. It's, it's remarkable what you and your brother have done, and, uh, and we have all benefited from it. So thanks very much. Thanks for being with us on Airlines Confidential. Thank you both for having me, and thank you for all you're doing to educate people about our wonderful industry. Well, thank you both very much. And Jeff... You've been a friend for a long time, and I'm looking forward to the next 10 years. Promotional consideration provided by TheArchive.net. Celebrating 20 years with a fresh new look and over 60,000 items of AvGeek goodness. It's the hub of air transport history, and you're welcome aboard. TheArchive.net. Thanks again to Jeff for great insights on cruises, airlines, and brothers, Scott, some open-ended questions from listeners this week. Cody from Point Pleasant, New Jersey says, Hi, Ben and Scott. Your podcast 
has been a valuable resource for someone like me who's passionate about the airline industry. I've spent my career in retail and sales, and now I'm eager to take the leap into aviation. What advice do you have for someone with a non-traditional background looking to break in the airline industry successfully? Your insights would be greatly appreciated. Cody, I think you should go for it. Go to every airline website, look at the jobs that are open, see if one sounds good to you. Recognize that you might have to take one or two steps back before you take a big leap forward. Sales in the industry is an evolving thing. American got rid of a lot of salespeople, but you have to sell in every kind of job. So a good salesman could end up being good at lots of things. How good are you with data, for example? Can you look at a contract and make smart opinions about how the incentives are aligned. Can you run big databases and get information out of a bunch of numbers? You may have skills that you've learned that translate real well. The key will be look what the airlines need and figure out if something is exciting to you. Ben, I totally agree. I think one of the unique things about the airline industry is that so many different skills and talents are are needed uh, to run an airline. If you're in retail and sales like Cody, uh, you're probably really good at uh, customer service and guest relations. Um, Those are key to airlines. As Southwest executives used to recruit flight attendants in restaurants. If, you, if the server was really good and personal, they'd say, hey, have you ever thought about being a flight attendant? And I think that translates into so many different areas. Um, you could end up at the, at the airport as a gate agent um, or ticket counter uh, staff. You could end up uh, on airplanes if you're mechanically inclined Um, you could get the proper training and licenses um, to be a mechanic, Um, but maybe start on the ramp as a baggage handler or uh, something else and and work your way up from that. I think there are a host of opportunities. And as you say, uh, sales, data, and other things at headquarters uh, might be right up Cody's alley. So it's a a fascinating business. Um, It's not always the the highest paying business, but I think the, the challenges are great. Um, the excitement is there. There's a lot of people who just have travel and, and flying in their blood find wonderful, rewarding careers in this business. So I'm with you. Go for it. So Ben, a comment directed at you. Hickman from Richmond asked, 
Did Ben break into a cold sweat when Chris Sloan was describing the level of service on Air Inuit? I'm sure Ben's head was spinning. Is he right, Ben? He's exactly right. <laughs> I know it. When Chris told me he was going to take this fight, I said, my God, how did you even know to look to do that? But what scared me the most and what did break me into a cold sweat was the fact that they could load all these people on a plane with no security mm-hmm. until they get to a station that can clear them. I understand why that's necessary, but it's so different than most of us think about. Yeah, absolutely. All right, one more, Ben. Sydney from Munich, Germany, needs help with a term paper and writes, Dear Ben and Dear Scott, I am really enjoying listening to the podcast and hearing your expertise on aviation-related topics. As you both are total experts in the airline industry, I would appreciate to hear your expertise on this topic. I am currently writing a seminar paper for universities centered around the topic of, quote, would a potential JetBlue and Spirit Airlines merger harm the competition landscape in the U.S., close quote. I know that it still remains unclear if the merger is going to happen, but imagining that it would, do you think money or the passengers would be their focus in cooperating? And do you in general think that a merger between two LCCs is an advantageous venture for the U.S. market? I would so much appreciate to hear your view on the topic. Thank you very much in advance and greetings from Munich, Sydney. Well, Sydney, I suspect Ben was an A student and I know I was a B plus student, but I'll give you my answer first. To start, passengers are money to airlines. You have to find the right combination. If fares are too high, passengers go elsewhere. If fares are too low, you fill the plane and leave money behind. That's what makes this business so challenging. Loyal listeners have heard this before, but I strongly believe that if JetBlue could pull off the merger, and that's a big if, it would enhance competition in the U.S. We have a market dominated by four big players who have more than 80% of the traffic, and a bigger percentage of the money, by the way. To compete against them, you have to have size. If your network is too small, passengers choose other airlines. Too many stick with their favored frequent flyer program, their status perks, their credit card benefits, the list goes on. A combined JetBlue Spirit could be a fifth major competitor, but as separate small carriers, they just can't compete. I think we are already seeing that in the third quarter losses at the smaller airlines. We recorded this week's show before the start of the federal trial over the government's attempt to stop the merger. It's supposed to start this week. I wish the Justice Department and the critics of the merger would stop a minute and look at what's happening with smaller airlines right now. If you can't make money in the summer, there's a serious problem. Allowing big airlines to combine but blocking smaller airlines from keeping up just benefits the big airlines and could potentially kill the small ones. 
Well, as listeners know, I'm on the board of JetBlue, so can't comment. But thank you, Scott. (laughs) Well, that's it for another episode of Airlines Confidential. We'll be back next week with more. And thanks again to Jeff Tolkien for educating all of us about travel and life. See you next week. This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.